It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 14th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. We'll hear a roundup of historic state election wins in the latest installment of the California Report. And tonight on National Native News, a 200-year-old unfulfilled treaty is revisited. The Senate and President Andrew Jackson promised the Cherokee Nation a seat in the House of Representatives. Now the Cherokee Nation comes to collect. As always, we've got your local news and weather. Before Sid Brown with the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation stops by, find out which western Nevada County state parks have a host of holiday activities planned on today's A Walk in the Park. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Nearly a week after the final day of voting, several key races in California are still undecided. KQED's politics editor Scott Schaefer says the outcome could help determine which party will control the House of Representatives. As of last night, neither party had the 218 House seats needed to claim a majority, although Republicans are closing in on the magic number. Of the remaining House contests too close to call, more than half are in California. Races where no winner has yet been declared by the Associated Press include the 41st Congressional District in Riverside County, where incumbent Republican Ken Calvert is steadily expanding his lead over Democrat Will Rollins. Mike Garcia in Los Angeles, considered one of the more vulnerable Republicans, appears headed for re-election, while Southland Democrats Katie Porter and Mike Levin are also likely to win. Two races are still regarded as toss-ups, Republican incumbent David Valadeo versus Democrat Rudy Salas in the Central Valley, and an open seat around Merced, where less than 100 votes separate Democrat Adam Gray and Republican John Duarte. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, the city's residents are still waiting to find out who won L.A.'s mayoral race. With more on that, here's my California Report colleague Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Hey, Saul. Hey, Madi. Yeah, it is the proverbial nail-biter election here. After several days of narrowly trailing in the mayoral vote count, Congressmember Karen Bass opened up a narrow lead against her opponent, shopping mall mogul Rick Caruso, as ballots continued to be counted over the weekend. As of the most recent announced totals, Bass is nearly 9,500 votes ahead. But LA County officials caution that it might take several more days until a winner can be declared, as they count mail-in and drop-off ballots. Both Bass and Caruso are registered Democrats, but Caruso is a former Republican and is considered the more conservative of the two. In their campaigns, both Caruso and Bass promised to create more housing for LA's homeless and to expand the ranks of the LAPD in response to concerns over crime. If Bass is elected, she'll make history as the first woman to lead LA and the city's second African-American mayor. Oh, and there's one other really high-profile race in the LA area I should mention, the one for LA County Sheriff. Incumbent Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who's been much criticized for his imperious leadership style of the department, is trailing challenger Robert Luna by nearly 260,000 votes. Luna is the former police chief of Long Beach. And those are some LA election news highlights. Madi? Thanks, Saul. 
Californians have elected a significant number of Latino candidates to key offices this year. Last week, Alex Padilla became the first Latino elected to the U.S. Senate from California. Robert Garcia, who ran in California's 42nd congressional district spanning Riverside County and the Inland Empire, is now the first openly gay immigrant elected to Congress. Patricia Guerrero is poised to become the first Latina California Supreme Court justice, and Assemblymember Robert Rivas has been elected unanimously as California's next Assembly Speaker. Here with me to discuss its significance is Christian Arana, Vice President of Policy at the Latino Community Foundation. Hi, Christian. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. So tell us, why are we seeing this change? What's driving it? Well, um, one only has to go back almost 30 years ago when Prop 187 passed the anti-immigrant ballot initiative that Governor Wilson was promoting. They tried to take away health care and education from undocumented communities. And in response to that, Latino communities organized. We became citizens. We registered to vote. And so you look at what happened in these 2022 midterm elections It is a product of the immense anger that started uh, in 1994. And Alex Padilla, who's now our first elected United States Senator from California, uh, he got his start uh, in the Prop 187 movement. And whether um, you can look at many, many people who currently hold office who are Latino, a lot of them trace their origins back to that moment in time in California where they were incredibly upset attacked. And in response, they took matters in their own hands. And now they're in elected office. And what's interesting about this election, too, you know, senators in California have historically come from the Bay Area, but Alex Padilla is from Los Angeles and Patricia Guerrero is from the Imperial Valley. Is it significant that these newly elected officials come from parts of California that haven't seen representation at this level? Oh, it's absolutely significant. Now we have an opportunity to get an even uh, broader perspective um, when it comes to policymaking in the state of California. This is important for democracy, I would say, because I think too often a lot of people don't want to participate in elections because they often say, well, what's the point? No one understands us. Now we have people that are essentially from our communities that are taking our experiences into account and hopefully they'll make the right decisions um, based on the things that we want for our communities. So, of course, we know Latinos are not a monolithic group, but what can we expect from this new wave of political leaders? People want action. (laughs) The fact that Latinos are agreeing with every other racial ethnic background saying that inflation is our top issue. Uh, you know, we want to be able to see our elected leaders to to mobilize quickly. I would even say at the state level, um, you know, I think you started talking about Robert Rivas becoming our next speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also pretty significant, too, because he's going to be the first speaker from rural California uh, in modern times. And so when you look at rural Californians, uh, especially on these issues of inflation, on issues like the climate, immigration, uh, rural California also pronounced themselves in this election to say, we want action too. Uh, so, you know, I fully expect that we're going to see significant movement on addressing these issues for our communities. That was Christian Arana, Vice President of Policy at the Latino Community Foundation. Thanks, Christian. Thank you so much. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. 
Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Monday, November 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening. A Senate-ratified treaty signed into law by President Andrew Jackson promised a non-voting delegate from the Cherokee Nation a seat in the House of Representatives. Fast forward 200 years and the Cherokee Nation is still waiting for that seat. This and more up ahead on National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Cherokee Nation is calling on Congress to honor the commitment made by the U.S. government in the 1800s to seat a non-voting delegate from the Cherokee Nation in the House of Representatives. Cherokee Nation citizen Kim Teehee has been chosen as the delegate. Rhonda Lovaldo recently spoke with her about a national campaign started by the Oklahoma tribe to get her seated. The government and the Cherokee Nation reached an agreement through a treaty nearly two 200 years ago that committed a Cherokee delegate a seat in the House. The Senate ratified it, and President Andrew Jackson signed it into law. The tribe says the long-standing agreement does not expire. This fall, the Cherokee Nation, its citizens, and its allies mobilized across the country to call on Congress to act before Congress adjourns in December. Tihi spoke on the efforts to do that. We've had a lot of questions, and we've had to go back deep into uh, historical documents, Federalist Papers, to answer questions. Um, but we've not heard opposition. We've just heard a lot of questions. And uh, that, thankfully, we're being asked and we're get, being afforded the opportunity to respond to as well. Tihi also talked about her priorities for the Cherokee Nation, like adequate funding for services and infrastructure, improve health care, increase access to the Internet, but also to take on action on a language bill to help preserve native languages. Language preservation is a huge, huge priority for uh, Cherokee Nation. And so we actually have a bill pending in Congress now called the Durban Feeling Native American Languages Act. And it's named for uh, the late Durban Feeling, who was what we call our modern day Sequoia, who revitalized and really enhanced and set the foundation for all the language preservation efforts we do today. Tihi has served as the tribe's vice president of government relations and was a senior policy advisor for Native American Affairs during the Obama administration. A House committee is set to hold a hearing on the Cherokee Nation delegate on Wednesday. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. A program that aims to train Alaska Native people to become rural pilots opened a new facility recently in Anchorage. Emily Schwing reports. The new hangar is now the central spot for students interested in pursuing a career in aviation. CKT owner and certified flight instructor Jamie Clays told a crowd of nearly 60 people there are holes to fill when it comes to aviation in rural Alaska. There's a lack of service there due to pilot shortages, due to a mechanic shortage. CKT Aviation contracts with Alaska Excel to provide pilot training to students from communities off the road system. Alaska Excel offers additional intensive courses beyond general high school curriculum to students from rural Alaska school districts. 
Lori Evan graduated from high school in Upper Kalskag last year. She first started taking classes in Excel's aviation program when she was in seventh grade. I actually flew a plane like unexpectedly and I flew it all by myself and that like inspired me to come and do more and it was my goal for years. Lee Ryan is the president of Ryan Air, an Alaska-based airline that serves most of western Alaska. He says he wants to hire pilots who grew up just like he did, off the road system in Unalakleet. And they understand the importance of safety, the importance of um, one foot in front of the other, the importance of navigation, situational awareness, the culture. Um, they just they get it, right? So it makes it so easy to serve the people you're trying to serve. So it's like, it's the missing piece of the pie. Ryan recently hired one commercial pilot out of Alaska's Excel program, and he's got his eye on the progress of at least one other. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Make sure your holiday checklist includes avoiding the latest holiday scams. Scammers count on you being too busy and distracted to pay attention, so visit aarp.org slash holiday scams to get up-to-date tips on the latest scams. AARP supports this show. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? Or they ask for a gift card so you can avoid going to jail? Stop. It's a scam. Gift cards are for gifts, not payments. Report scams at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at local news. According to Ubinet, the Nevada County Elections Office expects to have updated election results by the close of business on Wednesday, November 16th. Following Wednesday's results, subsequent updates will be posted on Tuesdays and Fridays. A Placer County Sheriff's deputy was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol while on duty Saturday morning. The Sacramento Bee reports that 35-year-old Deputy Alano Hughes has been fired. Hughes was responding to a call for service when deputies already at the scene, quote, suspected Hughes was under the influence and confronted him, the Placer County Sheriff's Office said in a news release. Sheriff's officials then contacted the California Highway Patrol. Once at the scene, a CHP officer conducted a field sobriety and breathalyzer test. The breathalyzer returned a blood alcohol level of 0.13% for Hughes above the legal limit of 0.08%, and the CHP officer arrested him. The news release describes Hughes as a newly hired deputy and says he was released from his probationary employment, quote, and is no longer a Placer County Sheriff's Office employee. The Sheriff's Office says they're attempting to track any public interactions Hughes had on Saturday morning. Hughes was booked Saturday into the South Placer Jail on a misdemeanor DUI charge. He was released on bail the same day. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Just as Tahoe Resorts open for the winter, inviting skiers and snowboarders to enjoy an unexpected early season snowfall, Voters Travel came out with its own recommendation. Don't go. The entire Tahoe Basin made the International Travel Guides in glorious No List 2023 as a place to avoid for its own good. The guide says, quote, Lake Tahoe has a people problem. 
Amid the pandemic and the Great Migration, there was an influx of people moving to the mountains, as well as people with second homes in the area coming to live in Tahoe permanently. And it's caused traffic along the lake to crawl, as well as kept trails and beaches packed. In addition to gridlock from Truckee to Tahoe City, particle pollution is seeping into the lake, doing the opposite of the ubiquitous bumper stickers request, not helping keep Tahoe blue. In compiling its no list, voters created three categories for inclusion. Natural attractions that could use a break in order to heal and rejuvenate, cultural hotspots that are plagued by overcrowding and resource depletion, and locations around the world immediately and dramatically impacted by water crises. This reported by the San Francisco Chronicle. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 34. Gusts as high as 10 miles per hour. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 57, with gusts as high as 23 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread freezing fog after 11 p.m. with a low around 12. This year, Nat King Cole isn't the only one talking about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Empire Mine State Park will have this holiday staple and more at their special Holiday Activities Day, November 25th. Sid Brown has all the details of what to expect at Nevada County State Parks as we step into the winter season on this segment of A Walk in the Park. Well, I'm very pleased to announce that one of the beloved traditions for Empire Mine State Historic Park is back this year in 2022, and we will be having a special holiday activities day, the day after Thanksgiving, the 25th of November, and the special events will be going on from 11 in the morning until 4 o'clock at Empire Mine State Historic Park. We will have the park decorated with holiday events, wreaths and flowers and garlands and lights. The park historic area opens at 10, and I'd like to run down a little bit of information about what will be happening throughout the day. It will be a little bit lower key than in far years past, but it going to be a lot of fun. And we always do say uh, we encourage people, especially if the weather allows, to get outside the day after Thanksgiving, enjoy nature, enjoy fresh air. And the events that I'm going to be telling you about could be modified in the event of severe or extreme weather. So I always do encourage folks that are planning a visit to Empire Mine to call in advance uh, just to make sure everything's on schedule. But we're going to have candle dipping, a visit from Santa from 1 to 2, tin punching activities for the children, chestnut roasting out in the mine yard. We're going to offer some holiday cookies and hot chocolate, historic lawn games, and Empire Cottage open house um, which is a real special thing to be able to go inside the cottage with all its holiday decor. The blacksmiths will be operating. We're going to have an elf scavenger hunt, holiday photo booth, 
and all kinds of fun activities throughout the day, also some live um, music. And if you can't make it that day, Saturday or Sunday are fine too. It's just that we won't have those extra special activities on Saturday and Sunday. But the park will still be decorated on Saturday and Sunday, the 26th and 7th. We will be having our tours that we offer every day and especially on the weekends of the mine yard as well as the um, cottage. Uh, The park is closed on Thanksgiving Day, so don't try to go to the interior of the park on Thanksgiving Day. But, of course, the trails are open at Empire Mine, as are all the trails for all three parks. South Yuba River State Park, uh, beautiful trails um, along the, the Yuba River. Also, the Independence Trail, the main Independence Trail is closed, but we do have a new constructed bypass trail called the Jones Bar Trail that leads down to the river. And really, it's a beautiful trail and a quick um, hike down to the river, just downstream of the Highway 49 bridge. Of course, Bridgeport, uh, the bridge itself is open, and it's a really popular place to go. And especially if you get caught in a rainstorm, you can always hang out in the covered bridge, be uh, dry and watch the river flow beneath your feet. Malakoff Diggins, although this recent weather has done a bit of uh, a number on a lot of the um, deciduous trees and leaves, there's still some beautiful fall color at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, and the trails are still gorgeous. The campground and the cabins are now closed for the season at Malakoff, but there's still plenty to see and do with all the interpretive panels and trails. There's a lot of ways you can sort of self-guide at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. And I'm surprised at the number of people who have not been there, even that might live in Nevada County. We get a lot of visitors to Bridgeport. We get a lot of visitors to Empire Mine. But Malakoff, for some reason, often is considered a little too far off the beaten path. But boy, is that trip ever worth it. Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, again, is a nonprofit. We are very interested in supporting our parks and engaging with our community. We do have a wonderful partnership with the South Yuba River Citizens League and the Bear Yuba Land Trust. We help each other out and we jointly care for these lands. They're all of ours to uh, protect in perpetuity. We do have a website, sierragoldparksfoundation.org. And the phone number for Empire Mine, because that phone is staffed seven days a week. And the park staff can always give you information about what's happening at Empire Mine, as well as the conditions at the other two parks, South Yuba River State Park and Malakoff Diggins. 530-273-8522. Well, that's it for now. Um, Oh, I did want to add about the guided tours offered at Empire Mine. We have estate tours Friday and Monday at 11, Saturday and Sunday, 11 and 1 p.m. Mine yard tours Friday and Monday at noon, Saturday and Sunday, noon and 2 o'clock. All right. Well, come enjoy the parks, have your own adventure, and we'll see you next time. That's our newscast for this Monday, November 14th. 
You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us once a month with news and updates from Western Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you. And MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, mecbuilds.com. And Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned birder, nature, and gift store since 1999. Offering all things birds, bird feeding supplies, nesting boxes, bird baths, also nature-inspired gifts, and more. Wild Birds Unlimited, Neal Street, Grass Valley. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.